Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Welcome to another wonderful revolution gathering. So have you guys checked out the YouTube channel yet? Um, it's Revolution Broadcasting is what we're calling it. And uh, the last, I think I put my, the last link on, on, on here was, was that. We are trying to steer people over that way a little bit. We might start doing the service there live as well. Um, well, we will eventually. Um, but let fo if you if you got friends and family, let them know that they can check out our services on uh, our YouTube channel, Revolution Broadcasting. And uh, yeah, so Josh had to put the last talk we did up on the Revolution Broadcasting, and. Um, you know, we did the Q&A, so we did the split screen, and uh, and it looked like a badly dubbed movie. Um, our, our, our voices weren't matching our mouths, and so he fixed it up, and so we should all thank Josh for that very tough, tough editing process. <laughs> I can't imagine how tough that was to try to figure that out. So thank you, Josh, for doing that wherever you are this morning. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I, I was at the fair yesterday, all day. The, uh, I've never been to the Washington State Fair. Um, it was just me and the kiddos. Me and my two kiddos, Minnie and Milo, and uh, it was really fun. Um, almost the best part was when we parked the car and they saw all those roller coasters and the twirly things and stuff and they got so excited, you know? And uh, there's nothing like that, man, when your kids get excited and we're walking and they're talking about all the stuff they wanna do and then um, we did this really big slide, you know, that you just slide down on and they were like, oh, we wanna do the roller coasters and we wanna do this and once we did that slide, that freaked them out enough to be like, oh, I don't think we wanna do any of the scary rides. Um, but yeah, we, they were, there are little kids fun houses that they got to go through that dad was able to not go through. We did a couple of, um, we did like this hundred year old merry-go-round. That was really cool. We did a regular merry-go-round and then we found a hundred year old merry-go-round. So of course we had to do that and we had to do it twice. And that was really fun. Um, yeah, we had a good time yesterday. Um, ate a lot of weird food, but not very good. Like I'm going to say right now. Minnesota State Fair in its food game is winning big time. The uh, Washington State Fair needs to up its food game big, big, big time. Like big, big time. It's like not very good. No cheese curds. What's the deal? No cheese curds? No fried cheese curds? Um, there were no pies on sticks? There were no mini donuts? So yes, I missed the 
hoping that'd be some of this. But no, we had a blast and it cost a lot of money. The tickets weren't expensive, but then when you get in and you buy tickets for the rides and everything, oh my gosh, they just, they just really nail you there. So, it, I mean, it ended up being a super expensive day. Like, I was like, I could have taken the kids to Disneyland for this price. But anyhow, we, I just tried not to think about it and we had fun and we won some cheap stuffed animals and and rode some fun rides and the kids were exhausted last night which was awesome Milo was like dad i just think i'm ready to go to bed which is a rarity so that was pretty great um yeah <sighs> so i didn't spend all day yesterday working on my sermon spent all day hanging out with my kids walking around a little classy right now um but I would like to thank their mother for taking them this morning for an hour and a half, two hours. She helps out on Sundays, so that's been really cool. So I can sit here and talk to you and not be like, oh, no, don't do that, no, 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 You know, it would be really weird. I think I've done that once or twice before, and you guys have seen that it's just like them jumping on me. Um, so yeah, there you go with that. Um, also kind of living in the, the post- biography film world of the eyes of Tammy Faye that's come out and um, the good thing about being a dad and having to be responsible for two kids is that it pulls you out of yourself because I didn't have them for a few days when I got back in town um, after the premiere and I kind of went into some darkness you know just some depression and was like very very tired and you know not sure what to do and went and talked to my analyst and all that stuff and was still just like really tired but when your kids come along they kind of pull you out of yourself hey, that's really nice um that's really great so i'm excited to be with my kiddos this weekend and just be crazy um um, headed out to Belfast next month. Very excited about that. Um, me and Pete and Helen are working on the on a on a documentary on my mom. It's like constant Baker stuff. Um, I guess I've just accepted it. <laughs> um, we're working on some stuff that I think is going to be really exciting and. Uh, I know it's going to be exciting. Some good things are really coming our way and, and coming out of this. What we're working on. Sorry, I keep yawning. That's just unprofessional. I don't think they teach that in, in uh, communication class and public speaking to yawn a few times. But yeah, so so getting ready to do that. So that's exciting. I'm really excited. I love Belfast. I've had to put off my put it off for almost two years now. And I try to go at least once a year. So I'm really excited about that. And going to spend a few days there. So all my Belfast friends, what, what? See you soon. Um, I mean, I love Belfast. It's like I would love to live in Belfast. It's great. Um, matter of fact, I think I'm going to do a service from Belfast. So I'll make sure you have something really cool in the background. So yeah, yeah, a lot going on social media. Um, Jessica Chastain won an award. Uh, I think it's called like the Silver Shell Award. 
for her portrayal uh, in Europe for my mom. And that's crazy because in Europe they don't, you know, know too much about my family. So that was really cool to, to see her do that. Um, anyway, lots of articles, man. It's just like you, you just, it's so weird to relive this. The nice thing is to kind of relive it with more of a restorative narrative that goes through this stuff with my mom. Um, but it's also frustrating to relive the negative stuff because I always want to cover that. And what really drives me crazy is the the uh, the inaccurate explanations of things. Like my people, I don't think I've ever seen anyone get my charge the charges that my father what was charged with. Why he went to prison right ever once, you know. Because they always put like this big money number and it sounds like he stole all this money and my father was never charged with stealing money. Um, and they're like defrauding people, but it was like, one day I'll explain it to you guys. Maybe we'll explain it in this documentary. I'm not gonna work on that now, but it just gets kind of frustrating. Um, but anyhow, and it gets frustrating to see that in all areas of, of, uh, of the media. So it's not just, you know, like seeing it in your own life, but it's seeing it in other areas. I really like Russell Brand. I don't know if you guys follow Russell Brand, but I highly recommend checking out some of his stuff because he really, really um, I think really exposes a lot of the biases of the media and uh, a lot of stuff they do and a lot of lack of fact checking and, and uh, always trying to get ahead of a story that sometimes causes people to suffer better than it does help people or inform people, which is the media's job. It shouldn't be entertainment. Um, I don't really get into his meditation stuff because I'm not into that stuff, but I, I, mean, I might do it a little bit, just mind, a little bit of mindfulness. But if you're into that stuff too, he does a lot of that as well. But, but I like his political commentary on the world because I think at his heart, it's humanity that he's worried about, and I think that comes through really clear. I'd love to be interviewed by him. Um, one, of, one of the things I want to talk about is the church. Surprise! We're going to talk about the church today. And um, and what... Uh, what some of the issues are with the church. I see some questions coming in. I'm gonna, uh, we do Q&A at the end. So guys, I'll try to, um, I'll try to fill that in at the end. I'll, I'll answer your questions at the end if I can. I have to scroll, you know, so that's weird. Um, but I was thinking, you know, I'm always, I, I, I mean, I feel like I'm a reformer. I feel like I wanna see the church change. Um, and it's funny because as I've, I've looked back over the past few weeks, even of my own family, and I think, you know, my parents were trying to reform the church in a way. I just did an interview with, uh, uh Christy G and, um, it's going to be out probably next week, maybe even Monday. And I think you guys should listen to it because it's, I talk a lot about what the movie was right and what was wrong in the movie and, but I also talk about kind of what I think my family represents and what they were trying to do. And one of the things I think they were trying to do is, is reform, not in a major way, but reform from all the, like, the legalism. Like, they wanted people to be a little bit more freer from legalism. 
You know, they wanted people to know that they could be Christians and live okay lives and have fun and be normal human beings, you know, because they grew up in that whole thing of like, you know, my mom grew up, she had an outhouse, you know, she didn't even have a bathroom in her house. So the idea of like, oh, you've got to suffer for Christ, you've got to do all this stuff, and which people love nowadays. We love suffering for Jesus still. Um, but I think that comes at a different, I think suffering from Jesus comes from loving others. I believe that's where you really suffering comes from. Um, but a uh, real pious type of thing that I felt like they were trying to help reform people from. Um, so I, in my own way, I, I want to see the church reform, but I'm also very opinionated about its critics and where I think critics often miss their, their critique is wrong of the church, where, we, where, we are, where we're really, quite, really fast to critique the church or judge the church, but we aren't, we aren't looking at the layers. We're not looking at the nuances. Um, we're not taking a deeper level. You know, it's just kind of like, this is bad, boom, boom, boom. But I, I, I want to say, like, I think sometimes we do throw out the baby with the bathwater, and that's a little bit what I want to talk about today. And so one of the things I was re writing in my notes was, is one of our problems with the American church, especially because I live in America, so that's where I know the most, um, is our tradition of legalism in a way that we treat the Bible like a law book. Um, Brian McLaren and different people have written this type of thing, you know, or a science book or a rule book. But, you know, like uh, in a court case, you know, when people are like, you know, trying, they're like, what, can we do this? I think I found a loophole. And they always pull out a book from a big bookshelf and they're like, ah, oh, yes, right here in Billing versus Donna, <laughs> this happened. So we could do this. This is, we can do this here, you know, and, and then like, and sometimes that's how we treat verses is like, oh, here it says, and then we, how we interpret the law, you know, and we create it into a law. And I think that's often, um, and, and it's not just legalism, but it's literalism as well. And setting up standards or rules that one needs to meet, you know, like we have this like, this, this kind of like, this is what you, it is to have to be saved. And what was making me think about this the other day was, um, was uh, a buddy of mine did an interview with a, a kind of really conservative guy. And the guy was like, what do you think about God's claim of being the truth, the light, and the way, you know, and like, do you believe in God, you know, or do you believe this, that, you know, and just all these like questions. Like, it was like, Reminded me like that Kirk Cameron video. They used to, he used to have this website that would be like, have you ever lied? And you have to click yes or no. And have you ever done this? And basically what it was going to tell you was that you were unsaved and that you needed Jesus or you were going to go to hell. And so they, they work it into a formula. And I don't think religion as a formula works really well. I don't think Christianity as a formula I don't think you can formulize this because we have so many different nuances. We're dealing with a book, a collection of letters and, and different writings and poems and uh, some law books and some things like this, but things change, you know? And so I, 
I think we have to realize, look at the nuances. And, and so what I was thinking about was like, particularly this interviewer and stuff and how I would have reacted, you know, and I probably would have been like, you know, you sound kind of crazy, you know, you sound like you, you don't really understand the Bible in a, in, a, in, a, in a deeper level. Like you don't realize you're reading a collection of letters written to other churches. You're not looking at the momentum of the words and the momentum of the message that's happening over the time, especially within the New Testament. Um, you know, what the focus becomes, because the focus really does become others in the New Testament. It just continues to gradually go that way. Um, if, if, if you kind of read things within context and time. Um, we also got an email uh, sent to Revolution asking if we believed in the authority of the Bible or gay theology. So, you know, there's a choice. You have to choose between, you need to choose between uh, the authority of the Bible or gay theology. <laughs> And I kind of wonder what my friends who do queer theology would think about that question. Um, and to me, it was like, I was like, this is kind of a joke. But at the same time, I'm like, man, you could really, I could really, like, if I liked to write, if I was a better writer, if I didn't have dyslexia, I could spend like, I could write like three pages to this guy, you know, about what he means by the authority of the Bible and what, what he means by... Um, I'm gay theology. Um, you know, it, it, it was funny because it was just one of those simple, like, wanna, I'm going to catch you. I know you're bad. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, but I know you're doing the wrong thing, you know. And, um, and this concept of, like, we're going to catch you. We're going to catch you. We're going to catch you. And, and to me, it seems like even that, like, in the media, you know, has become the thing. You know, it's like, I think investigative investigative reporting is fascinating and interesting and needed. Um, uh, but when it becomes like a ratings thing, it's everybody's like, we got to get you. We got to get, you know, oh my gosh, you know. Madonna farted on a airplane. It was Madonna's, we know. <laughs> we had it smell tested, you know, whatever. You know, it's just like, you start to go like, why, 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 you know. Like, this millionaire is a bit of an asshole. You know, like, really? Oh, he's a cheapskate. Like, oh, okay, great. That's how he became a millionaire. Like, just, you don't care, you know? Um, or I guess we do care because I keep putting that crap out and we keep watching it. Um, but I thought that was funny. You know, especially for me, is, is what I've, I've found out is a lot of folks who hold on to these kind of traditions that a lot of us have rejected, um bless their hearts, because I think a lot of them really have to work very hard to do it, because I think they have to have selective books that they read. Um, they have to stay within their community, um, because a lot of these folks literally, I mean, and I don't mean this in a cruel way, because I dropped out of high school. I have dyslexia. I have learning disabilities. I say things weird all the time. Um, I've had to really push myself very hard to learn. But about a sixth grade understanding of the Bible and about a sixth grade understanding of the faith. And so it becomes almost like this Lord of the Flies type of religion, you know, and where we're playing with each other's lives. 
and it gets turned into like this way of magical thinking of who's in and who's out and all this stuff. So I think when the church is being rejected, um, I hear a lot of people using the word, um, I've talked about this before, is deconstruction, which I don't feel like a whole lot of deconstruction is happening as much as it's called like we're angry at the church and we want to talk about it. And that's fine. If you want to talk about it, you want to vent about it, that's great. I mean, it's just, I don't know if I'd call it that deconstruction. Um, you know, a lot of it is just uneducated people who don't understand what the Bible says and what the Bible's talking about and what the history of the Bible is and don't understand their faith and have tried to, to tame it, to neuter it, if you will, to neuter the faith. I honestly, you know, I, I always beat on the pastoral epistles, but I believe those were added and written later because it wanted to to corral, if you will, Paul's message. That Paul's message was a little bit loosey-goosey, that it didn't have enough boundaries on it, and a little bit too free. So we said, we need to put boundaries on this message of inclusion. We need to put boundaries on this neither male nor female thing. You know, we need to get boundaries on, you know, I sin when I go back into the law, you know, love is this and love is great loving your enemy and loving your neighbor and it becomes so focused on loving your neighbor that you know it's like almost god becomes a second thing and then you start to realize that oh if i love my neighbor i love god you know people are like we've got to corral this because there's not enough rules for us to control a whole group of people if we do this and that's the problem is 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 it's human nature to want to you know you get into these big churches and you want to lead but you don't realize it's like, I'm here to lead, you know, we think I'm going to lead the flock and all these people, but you don't realize it's like, I'm going to lead the people I, I pay to be here. I'm going to lead them the best of my ability. And I am going to give the best advice and recommendation I can to the people who attend the church. Because pretty much, honestly, I think the shepherd probably has Jesus. I think I'm here to just be like, here's some things that I'm thinking about this is what I'm doing. I'm spending a lot of time in this Bible. If I can encourage you to think about it this way, to read the scriptures in this way, to think about God this way, you don't have to agree with me, but what I want to help you do is think and think better and, uh, and, and use critical thinking, which is not being a cr critic, a negative critic, because sometimes critics love things. <laughs> you know, it's just use your critical thinking of, is this good? Is this bad? Is this right? Is this wrong? You know, is he wrong? Is he right? You know, I, I think we often put too much focus on that and then when that when we give the authority to leaders in the church uh, often it goes to their heads and they they sometimes take advantage of it um when that's really not their job i don't think that's pastor's jobs is to tell you what to do you know it's like when i go to a 12-step meeting i take what i want i take what works and i leave the rest behind it's all just advice it's all just recommendations you know it's it's not law you know, it's things, it's suggestions. And I think we've got to look at church as more of a place where we get suggestions by people who maybe are studying the word. But the problem is, is sometimes the people who are speaking on behalf of Christianity don't really know what Christianity is, don't see the nuances, don't see the stories, you know, getting that train of thought of where they've got these five verses that they care about and that's what they do, you know. Um, and I, I think you can even see that with Billy Graham like, was so focused on winning souls to Jesus 
and saving people from hell. And I say, I don't believe in hell. I don't even know if I believe in saving souls, to be honest with you. Um, but I want people to know about Jesus. I want people to understand who Christ was. I, I, I would like people to see people. I think it's a great way to live your life. And, and I call myself, I'm a Christian. But the idea is, is I think it became so focused on that, 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 that he was just not able to really, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't sitting down and hanging out with Martin Luther King. You know, he wasn't sitting down and talking with uh, people who were, were social justice people. You know, he wasn't doing, he was so focused, like, because he's like, all this stuff is great, but all this stuff is going to end, and this is what I'm, so it makes sense that that's what he was worried about. You know, like, you're all going to die, and I just want you to be, heaven there, you know, there'll be, we can all have one water fountain in heaven, but down here, you know, I mean, we were, we're going to be, we're, it's a glimpse of an eye. Now, where you see this kind of take a weird twist is when you see Franklin Graham, who becomes even more tight focused on that, his son, and becomes very legalist, even more so legalistic with it. Because um, I think at the end, you know, it sounded like um, uh, Mr. Uh, Dr. Graham was becoming more, Reverend Graham was becoming more um, of, of a universalist, to be honest with you, when, he, when in his older age. If you hear some of his stuff, Billy Graham seemed to be going. But Franklin, I think, went to this next, what he felt was the next logical step was we've got to save people from hell. So if you watch interviews with him, you know, he'll say stuff like, well, you know, you just need to believe in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, accept him into your heart, and you'll have Christ in your life. Now, he gets involved in politics, and he gets involved in all this stuff, and he's very conservative. But I think, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, and think he genuinely believes that, that he has to save everybody from hell, and that somehow... Um, being liberal is going to send people to hell and he doesn't want people to go to hell. So he's just become such a, you know, such a jerk about it and so judgmental about it. Um, but that's what happens is that it's like, it's like capitalism is we see capitalism start to wind it. Like there's been times where capitalism seemed really great in the world. Not a lot of times, but sometimes. But now what we see is we've got like five billionaires and the rest of us can barely get jobs or pay our rent. And we're working our lives through. And it's like, oh, okay, there's Facebook and, and you know, Walmart. And, you know, I mean, like, they, and I have to shop at these places because I'm so poor I can't afford not to. You know, like, this is what happened. You know, so in, my, in that way, that message, you know, you start to see the fruit of those messages being negative. And so... That, that old saying, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good, I would say is true about Franklin Graham is he just thinks he's got these tickets to heaven and he keeps putting these situations on it. But I believe he genuinely believes that. Honestly, I have no reason to doubt that he doesn't genuinely believe that. Um, but I also believe it's such, such a simplistic understanding of the Bible and really lacks any depth of theology. And uh, I think that's what dangerous of, of when, when, when we ride our coattails of our family. Um, you know, so, so one of the things is what I'm looking at is what most people are rejecting is an uneducated view of the faith is maybe a family tradition, a Puritan tradition, an American tradition, a scrambled tradition, of people 
who have been simple, but know how to work hard and build big ministry. I mean, so my parents were simple, they were puppeteers, but my dad was just really good at what he did. They didn't even put TBN. I mean, my dad built all these major churches. I mean, the guy just was like, they'd get rid of him, he'd move on to another thing, and would just get bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, he was just really a talented, hardworking human being who had like this laser focus. I don't know how he did it. Honestly, if I could just like, if I knew how I did it, I'd be like, I'm gonna do just a quarter of this so we can just be okay and have a building and everybody gets paid. I mean, you know, like, I would just do a little bit. <laughs> just give me a little bit of that. I don't know how he does it, you know? I mean, even now he's got, a, he's on television and doing all this, I, 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 you know, people are like, oh, he's a con artist. You know, I'm like, well, I mean, if he is a con artist, he's a talented one, um, you know? He, you know, he's not conning like an extra French fry at McDonald's or something. I mean, he's really, able to do, build things. Um, but the problem is a lot of these guys got lucky or they're hard workers and they're not theologians. They don't understand these things and so the problem is, is the gospel becomes very rigid. It becomes very personalized. I know when I started in ministry, I often worried about how the congregation reflected on me. And that can often happen, and so you start to take things personal. You take things personal when people don't come to church. You take things personal when they do go to church. You take things personal when you heard, oh, I heard they so-and-so was down at the bar drinking. Oh, what are you guys preaching over there? You know, And it starts to play with your head. And I mean, I remember when I just started to let that go, I was so much more happy because I was like, I don't care what people do outside here. I'm, that's not my concern. I mean, I'd want to know them. I want to be friends with them. You know, I don't want them hurting anybody, but it's not my responsibility, you know. But they get this, and so they have to get tighter and tighter and tighter, and then you start to get church membership, and then you have to agree, like, okay, now, so if you do screw up, you've written down that you agree to meet with me, and then it gets, and then if you don't agree with my theology, we're going to kick you out of the church. Yeah, so it all becomes really this, like, legalistic law system that Jesus came to abolish, that Paul came to abolish, Jesus fulfilled, Paul's abolishing, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, even James and folks like that are saying, like, these aren't the important things. And we miss it. And we recreate it. And then people come and subscribe to it and get angry about it. And this is the one thing I would like to see more of is people taking personal responsibility um, who are so angry at the church, but who take personal responsibility for being the ones who walked in the church. You know, um, you also play a part. Like, we are all play a part in the church. You can't just sit and point the fingers. Like, n did someone put a gun to your head and make you go to church on Sunday? You know, well, my parents did. Okay, I can get that. My parents did. I get it. My parents made me go to church. Um, I hated Sundays. Um, <laughs> it's like Saturday was my only day. Um, but after that, as an adult, like, you know, did Mark Driscoll come to your house and put a gun to your head and say, come to my church every Sunday? Or were you like, oh man, there's really attractive people and I'm making a lot of friends here, so I'll go there. You know, and now you're like, I hate the church because of Mark Driscoll. Well, Mark Driscoll's kind of a shit pastor. He's not very nice. He's not very loving. He's a good communicator, um, but his theology is, is very angry and very not neither male nor female or Jew nor Gentile nor slave or free. You know what I mean? He's got a very select group of people who are in and who are out. You know, um, so we all play a part in this, but when we do, it also releases that us again from magical thinking of going like, you know, or, or this, this concrete thinking of like, they did it to me and I'm the, you know, it's like, no, you participated in it. 
you know, you participated in the situation. No one's making anybody, you know, but I, we, we you know, like, I, I mean, it's great. Yeah, I want to, you know, I'm think of that um, Green Day song. I want to be a minority, you know. Um, often with Christians, like, we want to be the victims, you know, whether it be a persecution uh, from people who aren't Christians or persecution from people who are Christians. You know, we've got this thing of, like, Ugh. and I've suffered by a lot of Christians. I mean, I've had Christians say horrible shit to me in my life for no reason, but I still don't want to attack them. I want to see them change. I want to see them grow. I want to see the church become a better place, you know? Um, so, you know, it takes two to tango, folks, and we've got to use our brain. You know, there are just no movie villains out there, you know? I, we want it. We, I, I, I see it. I see it on the left where we just put... He was manipulated. He did this and he did it, did it, did it. You know, I mean, I believe that happens to children, you know, but I'm talking about adults, you know, and uh, a lot of us don't want to, and maybe this is a hard thing to say as a pastor. This is a very pastoral thing to say is that we've got to take personal responsibility for our stuff. I would not go to church if I did not pastor one. And I don't like the word pastor and I don't consider this a church anymore. I consider it a gathering. You know, there's two reasons that a gay person should go, well, there's one, two reasons a gay person should go to an anti-gay church. <laughs> if, if they really just like it and want to be there and they can just let it slide and that's their thing and the worship's really good or their friendships are great and they want to do that, fine. I would still say don't go. Or second, they're like, I'm going to stay and I'm going to make a difference and so I'm going to change this place. There's another. Um, but you don't need to stay in a place that's beating you over the head. And maybe you have people telling you, oh, no, you need to stay. Don't. You don't have to. You literally can sleep in and it feels fantastic. You can watch this on whenever you want. If you even like the church that's making you feel like shit, you can listen to their tapes or watch them online later and not go and feel like shit and not buy into it. I'm just saying, like, live life well because it's so short and we have so little time here and uh, I think we have to speak truth to these folks and you know so this guy who wrote this letter I, I mean I just basically it would be easy for me just to give them a phone call and say listen I know what you're doing I, I don't think it's nice what you're doing you know and I don't you know the authority of the Bible the Bible has zero authority over my life you know, the Bible directs me and guides me and tells me to love my neighbor as myself. And I choose to love my neighbor as myself because I feel like that brings me closer to God. One of the closest things I've ever felt to Jesus is when I felt like God had abandoned me in my darkest hour. And I, and then I all of a sudden felt connected to Jesus, the human, on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know? Um... I think it's coming up three years that I tried to take my own life and that was when it happened and it was a really awful time. So I get what it is to suffer and what it's like to go through this. I just hope I'm kind of a voice crying in the wilderness for some of you folks. You know? Um, because a lot of you have been hurt in the church and by the church, you know? Um, but I think my life and my 
family's life and their history speaks very clearly of what happened to us as well. And some of you say, well, you guys did some of the hurting. Well, I didn't, but you know, maybe my folks did hurt some people and I'm sad about that. Um, but also, they, I know they helped a lot of people and that I didn't really have my parents much as a kid because they were so busy trying to tell people Jesus loves them. Not that they needed to get their lives together, but that Jesus loved them. And unfortunately, my dad decided to try to build hotels and water parks and, and have a satellite in the freaking air and decided, you know, the only way you could pay for it is to ask people for money. And I think that's where he got unfocused is when he was like, oh, you know. So when people, like, go back to the original thing when I was saying, when people say that, you know, my charges about my dad, like, and he scammed them out of $150 million. No, he didn't scam. You know that $150 million that you're talking about went? It went to staff. It went into building projects. It went into unwed mothers' homes. It went into prison ministries. It just didn't go into that hotel at the time that he was raising the money for because he had to pay bills and make things ends meet. You know, it's like, man, I would, if he had 150 million, I'd be like, yeah, put me in the old, uh, <sighs> keep me in mind when you die, you know, put me in your will, you know, just give me that Swiss bank account number. Um, my, my dad's obsession was building. That was, my, my mom often said that my dad's mistress was Heritage USA. Um, just building things. So, anyhow, you can take that with a grain of salt. I, I'm just, what I'm just trying to say is things just aren't always simple as we want them to be. Life is complex. Life is full of, of uh, contradictions, you know. I think we face these contradictions sometimes that we have to live within, and I think that's what my dad was trying to do at one point, was live within a contradiction. And now, I, I don't know what he does. I don't watch a show. We don't talk, so I, I can't really comment on that. But that contradiction of we want to help people love, we want to give people a place where they come and feel love, we want to help people, but we have to have tons and tons of money to do this, and we're not allowed to have commercials, and we can't really sell stuff without it being a love gift, so this is what we have to do. You know. Think about that next time you support someone on Patreon <laughs> for their podcast that looks kind of like a TV. Um, that was a funny thing. I remember growing up going to all these big mega churches with my parents and, and also often wondering, like, this all here is a church? Like, where's their, one, where's, their, where's their hotels and where's their unwed mother's home and where's their children? Their, for disabled children and where's the water park and where's the where's all the stuff like what are they what are they taking offering for you know i honestly thought that as a kid it's really bizarre um it was let's get into jesus though let's get away from this baker shit i've been living in it too long i'm oh guys i promise i'm trying to recover from all this 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 uh having all this what is the word i'm looking for this hurt and this pain brought back up. There's another word I'm looking for, and I'm sure maybe it'll come up here in a second, but because <laughs> you guys always help me with my words. Um, it was quite radical for the time, Christianity, so much that the powers that be tried to control it a bit, structure it to fit society's standards. You know, at the beginning, at least the first 200 years of Christianity was nonviolent. They did not fight in wars to the point where Christians were actually taxed more because they did not believe in violence. Now, could you imagine now if Christians still didn't do that? Like, there are groups of Christians who don't believe in voting. And honestly, I'm starting to think that makes sense because I've lost complete faith in our politicians. I've almost lost complete hope in our politicians, to be honest with you. Um, 
it just seems like one giant entity of greed and capitalism. Um, but, you know, so Christianity bucked against the system, bucked against what reality was, didn't believe in violence, practiced nonviolence, didn't live in that, wouldn't go to war, wouldn't fight for the country, wouldn't do these things. And, uh, you know, but the powers that be, the different leaders who came in and when they adopted Christianity as the official religion of the country and, you know, all of a sudden, that's when they had to put more parameters on Christianity and so Christianity starts to change because it becomes a part of the system. And so when the system grabs it, the system's like, we've got to put laws on it to protect everybody. So here's the system and we start to put these laws on it. Trauma was the word I was looking for earlier, by the way. You know, living or reliving my trauma has been a bit tough. But, so we create rules and regulations and laws to put around the idea of faith and what it is, to keep it controlled, to keep it out of hand, to keep it in our hands, to make sure that we're always the last word who says it. We are the kings of Christianity. You know what I mean? Like, there are no kings of Christianity. Christianity is a faith for every person, neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor There's no hierarchy and there's no lowarchy of Christianity. There's just no archy, <laughs> folks. Only when we believe it does it become true. You know, you might not be able to get to certain religious leaders because they're so big, but imagine if you could, you just talk to them like they're human beings, like you would talk to me or you would talk to anybody else because they're just human beings. They're not mouthpieces of God, but they need this to corral their life, to corral these systems. And that's the problem is that the religious system is broken and, and created and led by a bunch of people who don't know what they're preaching or have ulterior motives or feel like if I don't keep things controlled, and keep it in this circle, then it's not okay. They start getting worried when people start to think differently. You know, I mean, they're afraid like, well, if it's okay to be gay, what's next? If there's no hell, what's next? I mean, I remember one time saying I didn't think, this was years ago, preaching that I said, I didn't think that, that, that Jonah, not Jonah, um, that Noah and the flood was a literal story. You know, and this person came down and sat down and he's like, well, if you start questioning Noah, you know, okay, I get it. But then what's next? Then what do you question next? And then what do you, and I'm like, I guess hell and homosexuality and all this stuff. You know, <laughs> but seriously, like, what do you question next? The fear of even having questions and having the Bible have some authority. The only authority the Bible has is the authority that you give it. I'm sorry, I'm trying not to read all these things while I'm talking, but we'll get that. Someone wrote, questioned everything, and I do believe in that. And that's what I did. And that, for me, is what became deconstruction, became questioning everything and looking into Greek and Hebrew and looking at the laws of the times and the customs of the times and understanding what they meant and what they were saying and who they were talking to, you know. And it really changed things for me. You know, Galatians, man, the more you get into Galatians, the weird these Gauls were. These guys were, these people were just so strange, you know. And they have statues of them. Usually they're statues naked because most of them battled in the nude with a sword and a shield. You know what I mean? It's like, it's really bizarre when you start to study who those people were and, and, and the mixed culture that it had. You know, so it, 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 it's interesting when you take a deeper look. And, you know, and some people say the biblical authority, but what they really mean is their, their, their 
the theology that they've subscribed to. Like if I'm a Calvinist, I'm under the authority of interpreting the scriptures like Calvinists. If I'm a Lutheran, you know, for it to be a Lutheran pastor, then I have to be under the authority of what the Lutheran people think about the church. Um, you know, and I've had offers from denominations to join them and for them to take us up. But you know what I realized is I can't, I can't. There's always three or four things and I'm just like, I can't, you know. I can sit and disagree with this stuff, and some people are cool. I think the ELCA has got some wiggle room in it, you know. But the point is, is like, it's not the authority of the scriptures. It's the authority of their version of the scriptures. Their version of what the Bible means to them is what they mean by the authority. It's their, do you believe in the authority of my interpretation of the Bible? Because my interpretation of the Bible says it's not okay to be gay because I agree when they changed the word, I can't remember the word it was, but when they, put in, put, when they added the word homosexual in 1948, that's my truth. <laughs> you know, like, when they added that word, you know, then that's my authority, you know. When that got put in there, even though there was really no concepts of what sexuality was, even though that's mind-boggling that that came from psychoanalysis, um, still because we just take it for granted. We think, oh, it's just natural. Like, capitalism is natural. You know, like, you buy something and you get something and everything's fine and nobody becomes kings and flies to space for fun. Um, you see what I'm saying? Is this coming through? Where's the camera? Is this thing on? I like that Jesus changed things. And this is where I'm going to end it with. When Jesus... I love it because some of my, my more progressive friends are like, you know, Jesus didn't come to start a religion. You know, Jesus wasn't, you know, Jesus wasn't a Christian, man. Like, well, that's a cool one, you know. Jesus wasn't a Christian. Kind of reminds me of the, um, the shirts I used to see at the Christian festivals that said, Jesus farted. Like, whoa, I bet you he did. Um, and, <laughs> and the reason I'm saying all this is because I like to shake you guys up a little bit. Um... You know, Jesus didn't come here to start a new religion. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I mean, maybe he was a reformer, but let's just <laughs> let's look at something for a second. Matthew, you guys remember Matthew, the book of Matthew? Um. See, when Jesus said, started, the, you know, we have the Beatitudes. You all love to talk about the Beatitudes, right? Um, but what about the you've heard it? That's my favorite part is the you've heard it. You've heard it said. And that's when you start to go, what was Jesus doing? You know, because we get the Beatitudes. I love that we, the Beatitudes in some ways have become a very great thing, but also kind of a distraction because everybody's like focuses on the Beatitudes and then forgets all the parts about how hard it's talking about loving your enemy and doing things like this. They'll be like, the Beatitudes, man, that's all I listen to. That's all I read. I'm just a Beat. I'm a red letter Christian. I was a part of the, I honestly feel like I was, I was part of the original red letter Christian group, you know? Um, but the more I kept thinking about it when I was sitting in those meetings and going like, wow, I'm really super Paulinian. <laughs> you know, um, I really like the red letters, but I also like the black letters too. So maybe I'm a black letter Christianity. I mean, I really like Paul. I really like Paul. Um, I don't think I could have understand 
Jesus without Paul. I think Paul almost gives a better interpretation of what Jesus meant than um, some of the Gospels. I don't care. I said it. Because I think grace, the concept of grace, and when I go back and look at it, it becomes clear. I just needed it. I needed, I needed the two to work together. It's like TNT, you know. Boom, you know, like I needed that. Um, but here, in Matthew 5, he goes through these things this, this whole time and concerning anger. You know, it says in Matthew 5, 21, it says, you heard it that if you, it said that those in ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable for judgment. Did you hear that? And we're angry at each other all the damn time. Um, we're angry at people we don't know because we read something on freaking Twitter and now we're like, oh, that son of a bitch, they didn't say this, you know. Um, we aren't really very patient with each other either, and that's a whole other talk. But And then over at 27, he goes, you have heard that it said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman who has already committed adultery with her and with lust in his heart. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, and then 33. Again, you have heard it said that we should, the ancient times, you should not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say you do not swear at all, either by heaven or by earth, the throne of God. I mean, it goes on to say in 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say you do not resist an evildoer, but if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek. It goes on to say in 43, you have heard it said that it, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And, and that part, the last part of that I love is, is, be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I really honestly believe when the Bible tells us to be perfect, it's just saying if you want to reach perfection, love your enemies. So there you go. Um, beware of practicing your piety before others. That's a good one too. We should probably do that as well. And sometimes I don't think we realize we're practicing our impieties in front of others when we're just shitting on the church. We're just being like, oh yeah, those bastards are pieces of shit and they're uneducated assholes. You know, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say these are humans who I honestly think have good intentions but need to be either more better educated, need to have better conversations, need to read better books, need to be together. And I'm not saying that in like a snobby way. I'm saying that as someone who had to do it himself. And someone who is a high school dropout had to go back and get his GED. You know, only Bible college I've ever done is sat in for fun and taken classes so I could learn a little bit more. I've never gotten any degrees or anything like that. I'm all self-taught, so <laughs> the numbers should be dropping now. Um, I just want people to to think better. You know, and I want to see people who reject those who maybe aren't thinking well not 
to act like those people who aren't thinking well. You know, don't turn around and just crap on them. You know? Maybe give them a few books before you go. Maybe try to have a conversation. If the conversation doesn't work on, then dust the freaking, knock the dust off your shoes and walk on. I remember my dad said, son, if you ever leave a church, he told me this when I was a teenager. He said, it's not up to you to destroy the church. Don't destroy it. Don't sow discord. Just leave. You can tell them why you're leaving. You can tell them why you're going, but it's, it's not your job to destroy them. And uh, for some reason, that stuck with me. I don't know if it's right or right, right or wrong, but it could be right, could be wrong, but it stuck with me. Um, so Jesus did come and change things. Jesus changed... <sighs> Jesus came and said, yeah, this, I, the book of the law, the Torah says this, but I say that. So I think he may have been saying, I'm changing the religion. Maybe I'm starting a new religion or I'm bringing this religion back to what I think it's supposed to be. Right? So Jesus was changing things. Jesus said, no, 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 don't kill your enemies. It's not an eye for an eye anymore. Don't just love your neighbor and hate your enemies. I want you to love your enemies like he loved your neighbor. That changed things. That's why I subscribe to Christianity is because Jesus said, you've heard this, but I say this. You know? So what I have to do now is I have to look at ways on my enemies. How do I communicate with my enemies in love and help them not be my enemies anymore and not hurt other people? How do I help change them without destroying them? How do I reach out to them without hating them? You know, I, I love it. Martin Luther King said, never let anybody pull you down far enough to hate them. You know, and my mom used to say about, talk about how there was this law thousands of years ago of when you would kill somebody, they would strap them to your back. They'd strap the dead person to your back, you know, and you'd have to carry them around with you. And they would start to rot. And as they started to rot, it was not just smelly and gross. You would start to rot and you would start to die along with them, but you would be the living dead. And you would be smelly and maggot infested and all this as you walked around with this dead person on the back. And she used to say she used to carry Jerry Falwell on her back. And she had to let Jerry Falwell go. Interesting thing. I was in Applebee's with my mom when we found out Jerry Falwell died. And me and my sister were both like, I was relieved. My sister said, ding dong, the witch is dead. And my mom started to cry. You know, my mom started to weep. And uh, that really blew me away. I was blown away by that because this was the one person I knew that she considered an enemy and someone that she really struggled with forgiving. Um, but somehow she still was able to mourn the bit of humanity he had and realize that even as we sat at that table, broken kids, broken woman, we still were grateful enough to be who we were and that we wouldn't be who we were without our enemy. And there's something to be said about that, that sometimes our enemies might even deserve a thank you letter. 
for putting us in a better place or for keeping us from becoming them. Um, I have to say, if it wasn't for Christians with sixth grade understandings of the Bible, I probably would have never studied the Bible. I would have just been like, these guys get it, I got it, I'm gonna understand, I'm gonna listen to them, and I'm gonna move on. But it got to these questions where I was going like, how is this good news? This doesn't seem like anything good about this faith. This religion seems like all about control and do's and don'ts and who's in and who's out. And I, how is this, what did Jesus do? It seems like Jesus made things shittier, you know? I mean, if you read Romans, it said he, was, he didn't count those sins against those who sinned in former times. I'm like, well, then Jesus dies and now all our sins are counted for? I mean, look, what, what, this doesn't make sense to me. And so I had to look into it, and I had to study it, and I had to deconstruct shit, deconstruct it, deconstruct shit. Um, but I didn't come out going like, oh, I don't want anything to do with that thing. What I came out was going like, oh, this isn't a bad faith at all. Yeah, there's different religions that are influenced it, and there's different things like this, blah, blah, blah. But there's a lot of love, and there's a lot of grace, and... Um, I get why Hegel was blown away by the Christianity because he said there's something about the love in the faith of Christianity that is like no other. But he wasn't talking about people. He wasn't talking about the followers. He was talking about what he read within the text, that there was something there. And this whole thing of you've heard it said, you know, do this, but don't do that. But then I was like, love your enemies. So I guess my thing is this. Let's, when we do this stuff, we can still be nice to people and we can still share with them our findings. Um, and we can be angry. But you know, maybe anger with other people and anger at certain things. I guess we need to question ourselves, is it worth it spreading, spreading it to others or hurting others or destroying others? I mean, I've seen friends of mine who were destroyed over things that they never did. And by the time it came out that that didn't happen, it was too late. And, and you know, because somebody decided to set up a Facebook page and just do it, you know, go after this, you know, and then later came out that they, that was not actually the case, but it was too late. And I don't want to do that to other people, you know, I want to help educate people and people to grow. And I want you guys to do the same. And I think if we start thinking this way, you know, if the people lead, the leaders will follow. And we can help people You know, I, I think we can help people get out of those situations. Anyway, I'm tired. The fair got me yesterday. Um, loving people isn't easy. And I think that's what's kind of cool about my mom and why people are even so interested in her is that That, uh, that she just loved people, even though it was really difficult, and even though it might be confusing, and even though she wasn't sure if it fit within her religious boundaries that she grew up in, she just said, screw the boundaries, I'm going to love people anyway, and I'll worry about these boundaries later. And, um, man, we had a lot of great talks about stuff like that. Um, oh, so yeah, the dead body on my mom's back, she said, this is Jerry Falwell. Who she cried about was Jerry Falwell. Um, you know, 
So don't let people cause you to hate them because it just destroys you, you know, and it becomes really clear when it becomes like your main focus and you're angry all the time online and people go like, oh, there's that guy who says some really cool stuff, but a lot of it's really angry and mean and like, honestly, like if I see somebody going off on conservatives all the time, I stop following them. If I see someone going off on liberals all the time, I stop following them. You know what I mean? I was like, I don't, I don't care what side it is even. I, I just, I hate to see bitterness, man. Bitterness breaks my heart. And some people who I really respect, I've reached out to and said, you're better than this. And I'm telling you this because I respect you. You are better than this. These are cheap pot shots. And you can do better. You know, when I really respect people, you know, and, and really are hopeful for their lives, I'll get really honest with them. You know, I've told people that I thought they were fundamentalist woke before. One guy who I really respected and thought a lot of. He didn't mind having that title, but I'm like, okay, but I'm just letting you know this is what I think, and I'm telling you this because I respect you. I think you've just gone off on this side of the direction. You know? Because I honestly just don't think legalism belongs anywhere. Even if you're right. Hope you guys enjoyed today. Um, if you like what you're hearing, you like what you're seeing, um, you can go to revolutionchurch.com slash, uh, I think it's donations, um, and support our work. Because we could really use it right now. Um, not a lot's come in. Some people have sent some money, and I, I thank you so much. I'll be sending out emails hopefully soon. Um, through PayPal, I don't get addresses, so I'm not able to write thank you letters. But if you want a thank you letter, you know, maybe say, put it in your address or something. But uh, thank you guys so much for your support, and we could really really use your support to continue to do this. Um, uh, I love this work. And uh, I have hope in people. And I have hope in the folks who listen that one day this work will be just a no-brainer and that we'll reclaim the religion in a way that we'll reform the church. I believe that this type of message will reform the church and change it forever. Um, and I'm hoping one of you are the reformer out there who's going to make this happen. I'm really busy being a dad. Love you guys, and uh, thank you for listening. Um, listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.